Well, last week we uh, celebrated Shavuot, uh, kind of like all weekend long, uh, really. On, uh, on a Saturday night, uh, we indulged ourselves in uh, cheesecake. It was like the Beth Messiah Cheesecake Factory, right? And uh, that was really very good. And then we feasted on uh, the uh, Word of God and we had a really nice turnout uh, later at night as we uh, studied the book of Ruth and looked at it from a little bit of a different perspective than we usually do, a little bit anyway, and that, that actually will come into play a little bit uh, today as we continue, and uh, we enter now into um, a season where we don't have a holiday for a little while. Hey, that's kind of interesting. Right? And, uh, but we have been studying, uh, if you go back to a little while ago, uh, toward the end of the Brit Shah in 1 John chapter 3, and we come to a very important place. And it, uh, when I saw that this is where we are, I thought this is a good opportunity to talk about even some current events going on in our own world that we could make application to. In uh, the third chapter, we're in the third chapter, and uh, he's been talking here uh, a lot about uh, the, the issue of things going on in their communities and the need to, uh, uh, he, he's sort of making a correction to things, and that's what he's, he's speaking about, about the reality of Yeshua, if you remember, right, that Yeshua was a real person and not just a spirit, and, and he was not a man who became the Lord, or he's not the Lord who became a man, or he is the he is the very incarnation of God from the very start. There was a teaching that he was not a true human being, and there was other teaching that he was not truly the Lord. And so uh, John is clearing that up. He's also teaching here that even though we may be we may know the Lord, we still might sin. Uh, and that there is such a thing as sin. Uh, but the good news is that there is forgiveness and cleansing and, and restoration uh, in the Lord, right? And then he, uh, and so he talks, he sort of sprinkles these things around, and he, he talks uh, also a lot about uh, uh, walking in God's ways, right? Uh, keeping the commandments that they've heard from the beginning, uh, but now, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 3, he articulates, uh, in a way, what he's driving at in terms of keeping the commandments. And what's going to happen now is uh, from verse 11 in chapter 3 to the end of chapter 3, and then picking up again in the seventh verse of chapter 4 and going through the rest of that chapter, he is going to be focusing on the command to love one another in a variety. He's going to say it from a variety of different ways. So I, in, uh, in talking about this, I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of things we could say about this uh, and that relates uh, not only to us in our relationship with one another, but also in our testimony to the world, to the uh, you know, to, to, to the world. Uh, when we say uh, love one another or love your enemy or love the brethren, uh, that, is, that can be taken so many different ways, right? It can be taken a lot of ways. 
uh, sometimes it, it almost becomes uh, like this uh, weak, sweet, sentimental statement, you know, about God is love, love is God, just love one, just love, and you know, as as um, uh, as if to uh, say that um, I, it's just sort of like this uh, feel, like a feeling, a sentimental feeling. But of course, the reality is, is that it isn't a sentimental feeling. I, in other words, when we read here about loving the brethren, uh, when, as he says in verse 11, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That we should love one another. I, I, it, it's, um, if we're talking about applications of this, it go, it's like way down the line when you would add in a sentimental feeling, you know, of, um, of, of love. I, because love is defined uh, by God. I, and the reason that he says here I, that we should love one another, okay, I, is I, because that is a, uh, an outward sign of those who inwardly uh, are identified with the Lord, who, who embrace Yeshua, uh, who have uh, Ruach, uh, uh, HaKodesh, dwelling within them. If we are going to uh, demonstrate the reality of God, uh, then we will love one another. There's no getting around it. Now, oftentimes, what we'll say, and it's true, is that we forgive one another, but forgiving one another is an expression of loving one another. The, the, ground, uh, the, the grounding uh, identity of knowing the Lord is an, as an outward sign is loving one another, not demonstrations of worship and a beautiful worship service and, and, I, you know, and how I just uh, uh, feel like I'm just you know, um, just taken away by the Spirit and, and expressing myself in all different kinds of ways. No, the telltale sign is demonstrating the love of God, whether we're talking about inwardly or outwardly. And it isn't just saying, well, like I love pizza or I, I love to, uh, you know, go skiing or Oh, I just love it when the sun is out in the morning, you know? Uh, uh, it's not talking about that kind of, of emotion. Because when we uh, 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 talk about or uh, learn about the love of God, it's in action. I mean, it, it is in action. We know that God loves us by what he's done. Not just, not just because he says, listen, I love you. And I miss you when you're not here. And absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I really love the way that you look at me, uh, you know, when you're praying. Uh, no, when we read about God's love, it is always in action. And I know that there's all kinds of Greek words for, you know, the, the nuancing of the love of God and, and what that means. But the ground understanding is, is that we love because he first loved us, as uh, you know, as uh, John uh, here indeed uh, indeed writes. In fact, if you look in the fourth chapter, you read here um, in verse eight. 
or verse 7, I guess, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God, there it is, for God is love, okay? When you read God is love, it doesn't mean that every loving uh, expression is like a manifestation of God. But what it does mean is, is that the essence, one could say, the essence of God is love. That if we indeed are identified, if we have a relationship with God as individuals, as a community, then the love of God will indeed be manifested. Okay, uh, And so uh, when you come back to verse 11 of 1 John 3, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world, uh, if the world hates you. Okay? Uh, so, what John is saying is, is that we are called to demonstrate uh, this love of God. So, I, when we say that God's love, that, that the love of God is, uh, that it is his, so to speak, his, uh, his essence, when you go back, all the way back to the, uh, to the Torah, in, uh, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, okay? There's a lot of places we could look, but in Deuteronomy chapter 7, okay, you read uh, here in verse 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of uh, Pharaoh, uh, the king of, Jesus, of uh, Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to his thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. We'll just stop there. So we see that God's relationship with Israel, uh, uh, and of course, with all of humanity, uh, is grounded in his love. Uh, it is not something that he, uh, uh, so to speak, was forced to do, to do but because of his love for uh, humanity, uh, he, uh, uh, he gave, if you go back to the very beginning, he gave uh, Adam and Eve, a beautiful uh, a place in which to live, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and to live in an idyllic uh, setting, but they sinned, right? And they had to pay the consequences of that sin. God did not destroy humanity, but now the blessings became like twisted. The different kinds of blessings became twisted. But God did not give up on humanity. But as you see in the beginning of the book of Genesis, God continues to desire to bless mankind. He continues to love mankind, but mankind continues 
to sin and to disobey, and so God must chastise, and God must judge, but he never gives up. And then finally, he calls out Abraham to be the father of a people who will be the vehicle who will bring redemption to the world, all because of God's unfailing love. See? Uh, and, uh, and so we see here that God called out Israel not because uh, you know, they, were, they looked good right, or were more powerful, but again, uh, because, of his, because of his love. And we read uh, in a lot of places about the, the loving kindness of God, the loving kindness. And that is, of course, the Hebrew word chesed, right? which is, uh, there is no good English word to describe that, so they made one up when the Bible became um, translated into English. Uh, and that is the English word loving kindness. There's, loving kindness was not used before there was an English translation of the Bible. It's how the word entered the English language of trying to come up with a word to translate this word chesed, see? which really means, just the, the basic meaning of that is loyal love, loyal love. And so we see that this is who God is, and that uh, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Because we are called, we are created in the image and likeness of God, and we are called to demonstrate who he is. And so when we talk about being holy or being righteous, it's all grounded in his love. And that is a very, very important, yet it's simple, but you're all saying, I already know this, right? It is a profound statement that everything we are and that we do as, Messiah, as, as people that love the Lord, as Messiah followers, is grounded in his love. So for example... When uh, we, for if you look in the Brit Hadashah in Galatians chapter 1, for just an example, I'm not going to dwell on this, but in uh, Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1. So like in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each looking to yourself, lest you too should be tempted." bearing one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Messiah. The point is, is that even when a person is caught in a sin, the goal is love, the goal is redemption, the goal is restoration. I, I, when we are, uh, 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 in this passage, uh, called to meet one another's needs, it's all in love. When we uh, sometimes have to point out sinfulness, whether we're talking in the community or outside of it, the motivation is always love. See, that's why uh, when you look in a passage like uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, do not judge lest you be judged. For the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And he says, uh, he goes on to say, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice a log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your 
your uh, uh, brother's eye. And then uh, this, uh, you know, this passage uh, uh, continues. I, I, but the point of uh, the point of this is uh, is that when we, uh, when he says, "Do not judge, lest you be judged," when we point out, uh, you know, sin, when I see sin in my own life, or I see sin in someone else's life, and or you know, uh, uh, someone needs uh, some uh, correction. The goal, the, the motive, the root is always love. Because that is exactly how God judges us. It is exactly how God judged our, our ancestors uh, uh, throughout, throughout history. You know, for, for example, if you turn to the book of Hosea, if you turn to uh, Hosea, the prophet Hosea, okay, and you turn to the end, the, the 14th chapter. Okay, Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel who were totally rebellious. Every single king in the northern kingdom of Israel is rebellious. This is the group of people that ended up being overtaken by the Assyrians, you know, and, 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 and were scattered and so on. These are the people that built uh, an altar uh, uh, for a golden calf and called it the God of Israel. That's what Jeroboam did, Right? Uh, these were uh, ungodly people, but they were Israelites. You read in the 14th chapter, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Take away our iniquity and receive us graciously, that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses. Nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands, for in thee the orphan finds mercy. And then, this is what God says, this is what I want you to say. Now he says, and this is how I will respond. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Then he he goes on, it's a beautiful passage. But the point is, is that even when God chastises, it's all for the purpose of redemption all for the purpose of restoration, okay? Uh, and uh, a restoration so that Israel will be able then to demonstrate uh, and testify of the love of God to, uh, to the world so that the world may know uh, who, God, uh, who God is, right? Now, Yeshua also uh, uh, demonstrates uh, this, uh, this supreme love uh, in a variety of ways. Of course, we know uh, the most famous verse of all, right in uh, John chapter 3, Yeshua, uh, uh, we read in verse 16, for God so loved the world, in other words, this is the way God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, okay? Uh, and so uh, God loved the world, certainly by his covenant faithfulness uh, in sending uh, the, uh, the Messiah. And Yeshua demonstrates this love in a variety of different ways in his life. For example, one of the ways and something that we could really uh, uh, learn from uh, here is in um, Luke... Oh, here. Uh, chapter 7, 
in verse 36 and following. Here is one way that Yeshua demonstrates his love. And of course, when Yeshua demonstrates his love toward people, this is the love of the God of Israel, because he is indeed the very essence, the incarnation of the God of Israel. And so he shows this great loving kindness towards sinners, the same way that we read about uh, throughout the pages of the, of the Tanakh. God entered into covenant relationship where he promises that he will not leave or forsake his people. He will indeed chastise uh, sin. Those who are sinners may not uh, necessarily um, be able to appropriate all the, the, the blessings of God, but God uh, uh, never, never uh, gives up on his people. And so here in uh, Luke chapter 7, we read, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. He entered the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She is a sinner. Okay. So we don't know exactly. There's no word that says exactly what kind of sinner this woman was. But there's good reason to believe that when it says this woman was a sinner and that uh, you know, she should not be allowed near or to touch anyone, uh, that perhaps there was some kind of immorality associated to this woman who was a sinner. Okay? Yeshua answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. He said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Uh, go in peace. Okay. So it's just an interesting observation that he uh, pays attention to this woman who is a sinner. Okay. Now, in another place, in uh, uh, John, or I'm sorry, uh, back uh, still in Luke, in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. Okay, in just the first couple of verses. See, when we read that about this, that woman, we think it's very domesticated. Yes, it's very interesting. And, you know, we can understand. Let's see if we can understand it in its context. And, but to those people who were with Yeshua, that was like, 
How could he do such a thing? How could he even be in the presence of such unholy people? In chapter 15, notice, now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Okay? And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Wow. Yeshua was known to the religious community as the guy who hangs out with the sinners. Not, look how holy he is. He has a little halo around his head, right? And he glows everywhere he walks. That was not the case, okay? That was not the case. He hung, he was known for hanging out with the sinners. And what's interesting is, it says, now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. That's also fascinating. Uh, we don't have time to, you know, really unpack that and tease that whole thing out. But just to notice that they were coming to him, that they found something attractive about Yeshua, that sinners, outsiders, unholy people, not just poor people, okay, but sinners, people that were not living rightly, found something attractive about Yeshua and wanted to hear what he had to say, that he made himself available to these people and that he would eat with them. That's a whole other thing. Eating with them, that was a great commitment of, of relationship, sharing a meal uh, 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 together. We talked about, you know, recently that sharing of, of a meal in a very positive way of relating to God. Here, you, the text goes out of its way to tell us that Yeshua ate with the sinners. In this way, he is demonstrating his very essence of love. See, sometimes people debate whether what is the core, like for example, what is the core of the Torah? Is it holiness? Is it love? Usually those are the choices. Is it holiness or is it love? What is the ground of the, of the Torah? Or what is the ground of, what is the motivation of everything? Is it his holiness or is it his love? Well, of course, we love to categorize everything, right? And so what I would suggest is that those are not mutually exclusive categories in that God's love is indeed holy. And that is what differentiates the God of Israel from any other so-called God that there may be. There are other gods, so-called gods in this world, whose followers believe in righteousness, believe in getting it right, uh, you know, and believe in judgment. But it is unique that the God of Israel enters into covenant relationship with his people. Entering into covenant relationship is where God says, I love you, I will protect you, my best is for you. Oftentimes used of a king speaking to his subjects, whether it's a conquering king or a king of a land, uh, uh, making a promise, you know, to uh, be benevolent and loving toward uh, those uh, of his subjects. And we know from the very beginning, God is portrayed as the king. He is the king of Israel. Uh, he is the Lord, and he enters into covenant relationship with humanity, first of all, uh, and then with Israel for the purpose, of course, of the salvation uh, of, the, uh, of, of the nations. And he says, you are to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, right? In the book of, of, um, of Exodus, 
or uh, Leviticus. And what's interesting is that when you read that, uh, you read that in Leviticus chapter 19, right? You're to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And the next thing you read is about loving your mother and father and revering them. It's very interesting that, uh, that revering one's parents uh, falls under the category of loving your father and your mother, right? And then later on in that very same chapter, you have all of these great statements about kindness and showing deference to people. And it's in that very same context where we read that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And so if we're going to be holy as God is holy, and we're not going to be like the Egyptians, and we're not going to be like the Canaanites, it means that the way we carry ourselves in our worship of God and in our relationship with others is grounded in love, whether that comes out as benevolence uh, or chastisement or having to tell a, a difficult truth or, uh, or, giving, uh, you know, uh, or, or giving of ourselves for the uh, welfare of, of others. It's all grounded, you see, uh, in, this, in this love. So, it's very interesting that when you um, uh, go back and you look, for example, when God uh, uh, says through Isaiah to the Jewish people, you are my servant, declares the Lord. He says it over and over again, you are my servant, you are my servant. And then he says, it's very interestingly, you are my witnesses, you're my servant, you are my witnesses. And so Israel is called to demonstrate the very nature and character of God. And when we embrace Yeshua, we're all called to demonstrate that very essence of God, that love of God. Okay? So, I, I, you know, so having said all of that, there are so many uh, places in the Bible uh, that, that we could, you know, that, uh, where this is so solidified. Uh, for example, another place is in John 13. Uh, where uh, he says, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? And you'll love one another, you know? So there is no getting around it. Uh, there is no uh, getting around it. And so we see uh, from the demonstration of Yeshua's life that, <clears throat> that one of the ways in which he loves people is by making himself accessible to sinners, right? Uh, yes, of course, he made himself most accessible to sinners by dying for our sins. How more accessible can you be than making yourself vulnerable to that degree, which is exactly uh, what he did. And that way, he certainly demonstrated uh, that kind of love. But, you know, we can't die for somebody else's sins. We can physically die for uh, serving the Lord, and uh, we certainly uh, can, in a, in a sense, die to our reputation or uh, uh, things of that nature uh, and risk being misunderstood. Uh, and, and when we look at Yeshua's life, this is exactly uh, how he handled himself with sinners. You know, uh, another great illustration is in uh, the Gospel of John in the 8th chapter. Okay? Uh, in John chapter 8. The adulterous woman. Another woman who is a sinner, okay? So Yeshua came to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the midst, imagine how humiliating that would be, right? 
They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. The very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Yeshua stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Who is without sin among you? Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in, in the midst. And straightening up, Yeshua said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Yeshua said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, sin no more. So what you see here is, uh, uh, you see the dramatic forgiveness of the Lord. Almost, it's almost like having an opportunity to see right where the line is, where, the, where Yeshua begins to inaugurate this new covenant. Not that she's uh, simply off the hook, uh, but he forgives her. He's making a dramatic point about who he is, see? And he forgives her. Now, uh, again, what we see here is the chesed, the loving kindness, the relationship uh, with, uh, with uh, a sinner. Now, Paul, interestingly enough, in 1 Timothy, he says, I, first, in one particular place, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 9, he says this. He says, first of all, he says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. You know, I'm going to pause there and say, here, once again, you have a perfect illustration of when you read lists, oftentimes they're uh, examples and that it's not a finite list. And here's one of them. Here's a perfect example. And whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Okay, so here, wow, I, he doesn't seem to be reaching out in the very same way as Yeshua does when he talks about sinners. But if you go down a few more verses to verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Messiah Yeshua came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all. He is identifying himself with the same people that commit all those other sins. And that's very important uh, uh, to understand for us in our world if we're going to really make a difference in the world in which we live, okay? So, we are living in a day uh, right now where we are challenged uh, in this uh, uh, concept of loving God. We are challenged in a very big way. So, we're all aware of what's happening uh, in our country and in, in our culture, right? So last weekend, right, there was this uh, terrible uh, terrorist-inspired uh, attack on this gay 
nightclub, right? So here we are, Messiah followers, looking at this and saying, uh, wow, you know, um, you have this terrorist attack and, and we, you know, uh, certainly, uh, you know, Islam is, is not of God. Allah is not the God of Israel. And then you have this, this uh, uh, gay uh, nightclub. Now, uh, it might be easier for us if this was like a, a church or a synagogue or if it was a bunch of Jewish people, right? Then it's like so like crystal clear, but it's a bunch of gay people. And we stand back and, and we say, wait a minute. Okay, uh, you know, uh, homosexuality is, uh, is a sin, uh, and certainly then that relates to same-sex marriage and the culture in which we live and, and, uh, and, and, and so on. And so, wow, what do I do with this, you know? And the question becomes, and this is the, que- this is the question that's been, it has popped up in different places uh, uh, during this week. And so what becomes the real difference between Islam and uh, uh, and the God of Israel, whether, you, whether we talk about Judaism or Christianity or not even those categories, but followers of the God of Israel and, and for us specifically, Messiah followers. What becomes the real, the real difference? This becomes a big, a big question for us in our culture because we may sit here and say, oh, well, obviously there's, there's differences. But when the outside world looks at us, we have to ask ourselves, then where is the testimony of Yeshua? Where is the testimony of Yeshua? The challenge for us is to demonstrate the love of God in radical ways to show forth this difference. How do we do that? Look what Yeshua did. What did Yeshua do? He ate with sinners. He ate with women who were sinners. He ate with adulterers. He ministered to them. He hung out with them. They found him attractive to talk to. So evidently, he wasn't beating them over the head with a Bible. That's not too attractive, okay? No one ever comes to know the Lord by losing an argument, okay? Now, it is important to stand up for what's right and to teach what's right and to answer people, absolutely. But if we are desirous of reaching out to people and being Yeshua to them, we have to risk our reputations. We have to uh, take ourselves out of the safe little place and we have to go there and we have to show radical love to people. We have to show radical love to people who are gay, to, to people who have, have lifestyles that, that we see from the scriptures are, are not right. We have to recognize that people are more than their sexuality. People are not just, you're this, you're that. Very important. Very important when it comes to our culture because this is a primary issue. Now, we could talk about all kinds of sin. <laughs> we could talk about lots of immorality that will, or, or uh, ethical things or uh, other bad things that, that, we, that might make us squirm in our seats, and that's good for another day. But in our culture, we are bombarded with this issue. 
We are in Columbus, Ohio. We are absolutely bombarded with this issue, right? We know that the gay pride, gay pride weekend, and it's great. It's it's great economically, and we know that you know it's almost like if if you are not all for it, you are uh, you are a hater and you're a bad person. And so we, as believers, and then having this this terrible tragedy take place in Florida that now, wow, what do we, you know, how do we position ourselves? Well, uh, we are called not, not to condone, but to love. How do we do that? You know what? That does not happen on a piece of paper. It doesn't happen institutionally so much. It happens in personal relationships. That's what Yeshua did, you see? And that's what we are called to be in our, you know, in our culture, in our world. And that is a very difficult, it's a difficult place to be. How do we do that? Well, you know, I, it's, it's all I, um, anecdotal, you know, every situation is different. But something I thought that was very interesting uh, in Florida was uh, the uh, Chick-fil-A company people, Chick-fil-A chicken people, right? So I, you know, how, I mean, they have a reputation of being, uh, you know, anti-gay, anti-same-sex uh, um, uh, marriage, and, and so on, right? But they did something in some of their local places in Orlando, perhaps you've heard about it, that was very good. They demonstrated uh, love by serving free food to lots of people who were giving blood and helping and in varieties of ways. Some people found that to be hypocritical. But rather than hypocrite, that's the price you pay. But rather than being hypocritical, it is saying this is what we actually st we stand for. Not, not anti, but for. See? We're like four people. We're four people in, in need. We're for uh, being kind. Uh, we're for showing kindness uh, to people no matter who they are or whatever the, 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 the cause is, see? And so that's not hypocritical. That is exactly uh, uh, how Yeshua uh, uh, handled himself. And that is a good illustration uh, uh, for us. I don't have time, but I, uh, at another time, uh, I'll share with you, well, I'll just, eh, I'll just tell you a little story. Okay, so... But, and I'm going to leave out all uh, lots and lots and lots of parts of this. But anyway, uh, I heard a speaker not too long ago, and I might have shared this. Uh, I may have shared this, but I'll share it again because I'm sure you don't remember. You know, does anybody know who Luis Palau is? Okay. So his son uh, has some kind of ministry in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And uh, he uh, had this conviction that in Portland, which is a very, very, very liberal, very liberal city, that the, the believers have had a reputation uh, almost across the boards of being against everything. You know, we, we don't believe this, we're not for this, we're not for this. And so at the time, this was a number of years ago, the mayor of Portland was, uh, was gay, okay? And so uh, this fellow got this idea that I'm going to bring a contingent of, of uh, uh, leading a clergy to the mayor, and I, I want to have a meeting with him. And of course, the mayor, so he talks about this. And he says how, okay, we have this meeting. The mayor is thinking, oh, what do they want now? What are they against now? 
you know? And so what he says to the mayor is, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, we're known to be against, but we think it's important that you know that we are for uh, our city. We are for, you know, good things to happen in our, in our city, for you and for, and for uh, the, the betterment of our city. And so we want to make ourselves available to you. Well, you know, it's a long story, but it ended up that the mayor could not believe the kindness of these people and of the people in their congregations who never asked for anything but just kept serving and serving and, there, and never asked for anything. And it made a huge difference in his life and in the life of, of others. And, and, uh, and it's a fantastic story and one that uh, we uh, need to learn about indeed ourselves. Uh, and so when we think about this passage, going back here to uh, 1 John, yes, we're called to love the brethren, Yes, forgive one another when we're, when we're hurt. But boy, we will make, and that does witness to who God is. But uh, at least for today, to think about what are some ways that I can show loving kindness in a, in a radical kind of way? How can I uh, myself reach out? And only you can answer that question in your own life, in your own neighborhood, and and the people you may know or in, you know, in, in the community. And, uh, and, you know, God's love, again, is demonstrated in action. And just in closing, you know, uh, we looked at uh, Ruth and uh, Boaz uh, uh, on uh, Shavuot. And I know we like to look at Ruth as it's a story about a Gentile, uh, ta- you know, coming and embracing the God of Israel. But what, you know what we learn when you look at that story really, really carefully? What Ruth was basically doing was embracing Naomi. She was embracing Naomi. She was showing, showing loyalty to her mother-in-law. Okay, uh, that is what th- this story is about. This this Moabitess, who's called a Moabitess every single time her name is mentioned in the book, so that we would get it. Okay, and she shows extraordinary loyalty to her mother-in-law. And then there's Boaz, who does not, contrary to. What we may think, oh, see, you've got to stay up late sometimes and come to these things. That contrary to we may think, he was not obligated in one way, shape, or form to care for Ruth or Boaz. It was not a Leverite marriage situation. The book is, of Ruth is quite clear, 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 clear on that. What it's about is about a redeemer, a goal, right? And it has to do with uh, financial redemption. But you see, uh, what you have is, uh, in the days of the judges, two extraordinary people who ended up changing the course of history because of their loving kindness. That's what the book of Ruth is about. It's about people who changed the course of history because of loving kindness and demonstrating, of course, indeed, the love of the God of Israel. We can change the course of history. We have the Ruach HaKodesh. We have the love of God implanted, spread abroad in our hearts as we read in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. We can indeed make a difference as we approach people in this world grounded in the love of God. And may I suggest that is what people are really looking for. Unconditional chesed. Unconditional loving kindness. That is how people entertain the good news. That's how people experience the good news. 
That is how Yeshua lived his life. That is how, that was his motivation in his death, resurrection, pouring out of the Ruach, in the whole plan of God. It's about God's love for humanity. And he has called us to be his ambassadors to demonstrate that love in the world in which we live. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we do uh, pray, Lord, that we would demonstrate that love. And we pray, God, that it would make a difference. We indeed pray, Lord, that people would turn from their sins. We pray that people would be repentant, Lord. And we know that you can do that without any help. But you have called us, Lord, to be your instruments, to be your servants, to be your slaves in this world. Lord, may people see you. May people desire to come and hear what we have to say, not because they already agree with us, but because they have a need in their heart, in their life. God, may we see supernatural, Lord, redemption and a turning of sinners to you, Lord, by the way we conduct ourselves in both word and deed. And Lord, we do pray you would empower us to do that in our city, in our world. May we be you in this world and may people be drawn to you, to you, your word, your kingdom. We pray in Yeshua's name.